Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Glad you're with us as we broadcast live from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine and Shine Fest is upon us. We are less than a day away. Coming up tomorrow, starting at 3 o'clock, Shine Fest, National Moonshine Day. Uh, with a huge celebration right here at 6th and Peabody. Live music, great drinks, food, and more. It's all happening tomorrow. If you're in the Middle Tennessee area, definitely make a point to do your happy hour or lunch here on site at 6th and Peabody. And if you've never been to Music City before, if you're planning on visiting Nashville anytime soon, make a point to pre-game, post-game, or in-game at 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Tomorrow is Shine Fest. We'll have some great uh, video footage of that, no doubt. Corey Taylor may uh, work some some magic on some live shots from Shine I Fest. I think Corey Taylor should work his magic on live shots and also should bathe in moonshine for Shine Fest. <laughs> I think we should get a live shot of the crowd in the beer garden, and we he should approves. get Corey just smothered in white lightning on camera also and uh, drinking it as well. I look forward to tomorrow. going to be fun. Did we get any type of clarification on the high school kid that interrogated Nick Saban from, from our guy Trey Wallace? All Trey would say this is, is my, this is my preview for Trey Wallace's segment coming up. He wrote a story on a high school kid confronting Saban here at the meetings. He said, just right. ask me about it. So we will. We'll ask him about it in 20 minutes. I'm going to read the story. Um, and we'll get the latest from Destin, where they are discussing a ton on the SEC schedule. Um, they are discussing an eight- or nine-game schedule for the SEC for conference matchups. Uh, that is a huge point of uh, difference, I would say, for some coaches who behind closed doors are going back and forth with uh, the, the model itself and how it might work. We'll dive into some of that and a proposal I have to add a game to the already lengthy schedule that's coming up in about an hour and 15 minutes from now. Paul, you were at uh, NFL OTAs for the Titans today. The one national note that is of interest to everybody listening, Kyler Murray showed up to the voluntary workouts for the Arizona Cardinals. He's there with the Arizona Cardinals at their offseason team activity. So um, I don't know if he's still disgruntled. My guess is yes. But amid this rift that he has with the organization at a voluntary setting, he's there. That's a surprise. I, I, I would agree. People saw that coming. So, he said, uh, I want to win Super Bowls with the Cardinals. Arizona is home. That's what he said last April. That's what he said uh, a couple months ago. And now he's actually doing some voluntary work with the team. It's the news now when someone shows up to work in the NFL. Yeah. Newsworthy. Hey, he's actually there under contract. Good for him. Paul, what were the, the, the news and notes from – the, the Titans standpoint, I know that Traylon Burks practiced and he was made available to the media today where he was certainly asked about 
why he's been dropping out of recent practices. Yeah, he didn't say much. Um, you know, basically denied that his conditioning has has been an issue, said he's not on a ramp-up schedule. I don't see how he could say those things uh, because he clearly has been uh, much more of a participant today than anything uh, that I'd, I'd been at. Now, I missed the second rookie practice where I think he went start to finish. Um, even, even today where he was uh, – you know, pretty frequent in the team and seven-on-seven seven stuff. Uh, he skipped a receiver drill that, that, you know, went both directions, and he just kind of moved where the guys who had uh, were waiting to do the drill were and walked over to where the guys who finished the drill were. Um, so he, he wasn't doing everything there, but really didn't have much to say. Asked about I asked about the inhaler. He said, you know, you need to ask um, – Vrabel about it. Well, Vrabel had already spoken about the inhaler and said, you know, he's not going to talk about anybody's uh, um, allergies. Everybody has allergies, you know, and, uh, you know, avoided the, the asthma question. I, I, you know, I've talked to some people. I've concluded uh, between what I've seen and what I've been told that he's, he's out of shape and he is ramping up. So I think he was not Telling the truth, quite frankly. Well, and he's just trying to get that media session over with, which was three or four minutes because he was answering short and not saying anything. And this comes right after we have uh, the, the, the column up by Albert Breer. And this was Monday, I believe, when he posted this. Um, and in one of his news and notes, just 10 random things or five random things around the league from what he's hearing. He mentions a previous column that he wrote on Traylon Burks about the pre-draft workouts and how he was struggling to get through some of those workouts and how it was noted by several teams. And he goes on to say that while he played last year at 225, he put more weight on after the season, and that scared some teams away. from Not, not from drafting him, but from drafting him in that top tier of wideouts. Yeah, he Meaning, went from 225 to 245 was the report that I read. Yeah, he gained it, 20 pounds. And uh, the reports were from Breer that at these workouts he was weighing in. At, at the combine, he, wore, he weighed 225. And Breer says by the time the workouts came along, he was over 230, in the 230s. So, again, that raises a, a red flag for conditioning concerns and commitment concerns to this. My, my thing is, after reading that, and that's the pre-draft workout, my line of thinking here, Paul, I don't know if you agree, has been, it, over the last couple of weeks, has been, well, how do you get that out of shape after the draft? Like, but, I think you but, celebrate. Well, you celebrate. But according to Breer, he was out of shape before the draft at these workouts where you're trying to prove to teams that you're the upper crust of, of NFL wideouts in this draft where it was considered a very good draft. And Traylon Burks is a very good receiver at Arkansas. But, man, I, you can't help but just shake your head and go, what, what's really going on here? Because Vrabel, whenever he's asked about it, tells us what's going on without saying anything. His non-answer to things tells us that it's not a medical issue. Yeah, uh, uh, If it's uh, a medical issue, you just say it and say a, we know it and we're dealing with it. That's not a smart thing for Burks to have done, but it didn't really hurt him. Because if he was out of shape uh, at the Titans workout, or whatever they did with him, it didn't hurt him. They they traded sure. to get in position to draft him to replace uh, AJ Brown. And I, um, I, I, it's not a and he was going to go somewhere in that range anyway to a receiver needy team. 
I think we all expect that he'll be in good shape at the start of training camp. No doubt. So it's just an unfortunate it's, um, summer for him that casts a, a little bit of a pall over him. But I think all of us say, as long as he's good by the start of training camp, it'll this all, will all be a faint memory. But it's all. But it doesn't make him look good right now. Surface level, yeah, he's he should be in shape by the time training camp rolls around. I mean, the heat alone in pads will get you in shape. So beyond the surface level, though. Typically, if you come in out of shape, you're not on the field yeah, that's until true. you're in shape. And they have been allowing him to go in and out. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a note now whenever he finishes a practice where he doesn't go in, apparently. And I haven't been there. This is my observation of reading the headlines. Like, normally, uh, you don't practice. If you come in out of shape, you don't practice until you pass the conditioning test. That's just common knowledge, and I don't think that's just a Titans uh, rule or or regulation. I think this is in football football terms no matter what level you're at. So that that's weird. It's it's weird that you would and I trust Albert Breer that he would show that he would show up to to workouts and labor through some of these drills. And I would I would also add that it's it's odd that if for some reason he needs an inhaler due to asthma or whatever has been speculated that you just don't say it. And, and get it over and done with instead of just letting people continue to talk about it. And I'm, I'm one that's sitting here saying, I'm reading between the lines. The fact that they haven't said it tells us that's not the issue here. And it's just odd that, yeah, while he's going to be in shape, I'm looking around going, how is this guy out of shape if, in fact, he can't make it through a practice? I can't make it through a practice, but I'm not a first-round first pick uh, set up to be the future number one wide receiver in this offense. It's just, uh, I raise an eyebrow to it. I don't raise a red flag to it. I raise an eyebrow to it because it's, it's something that, Paul, I mean, now the, the quotes are, well, you know, the transition is just, it's very difficult here. And I'm, well, we're, a lot, yeah, a how lot is it so difficult for these other rookies to make it through a, pra a training camp practice? Yeah, or a, an OTA. It's hard it just for any rookie. That's I what don't they need keep that saying. line. Robert Woods said it. That's a, it's hard for I any rookie. Well, there are a lot of rookies out there who are going start to finish. A lot of them are undrafted rookies. Exactly, but is, more is, of is, them than drafted. Is Theo Jackson using an inhaler and stepping out of practice a ton as no, a rookie? None of the other guys no are. One and is. most of the uh, most of the other guys who've been rookies in the past didn't. You know, I wanted to ask Robert Woods. Well, when you were a rookie, did you struggle? to that degree no he did i'm sure he did look ultimately if Traylon burks is out of shape Traylon burks is to blame it's also not the end of the world that he's out of shape now it would be the end of the world if another titans first round pick lacked the discipline to be in shape come training camp and season that that is the that is end times for this team given first round failures okay so let me say that this isn't the end of the world right now and it's ultimately Traylon burks fault it's also Mike Vrabel and the organization's fault. If you're going to preach accountability and talk about your football firstness, that just tell us the guy's out of shape and he's working his way back into shape. That is not a crime. You are not completely burying the guy. You could make a joke about it. I, I know that I've had a few too many bad meals after I got drafted and celebrated a little bit. And hey, guys, go through this and we're going to teach him how to be a pro and how to work through it. And he's working with us fine. And he's working hard to get back in shape. Say it. Don't leave everyone thinking where Traylon Burks is put in a position as a rookie coming in to say, Paul, you're going to have to ask uh, the head coach about that inhaler. I can't answer to the inhaler. Well, Th This mystery box game that's played 
where there's no mystery. Anyone with two eyes that work can look at Traylon Burks and tell that he's out of shape, that he's overweight compared to what he played at Arkansas. They can see him checking himself out of drills. He's winded. He's out of shape. Just say it and let's move on. I, that's, I don't understand these self-inflicted wounds from the Titans where they can't just admit something. Well, we're now on week three of this storyline. Because yes. it was rookie OTAs, then they joined the vets, and now we're on week three of media availability uh, per week. And didn't Once we just go week. through all this with Ryan Tannehill? These self-inflicted silence wounds that he, he made? Uh, where he yeah, could have just, just said something care. and been over with it but quicker? They just don't care. But see, so, I'm sorry, my back is, I keep moving and fidgeting here. Um, is he working after practice? Like, again, I'm looking for a guy who's out of shape to work after practice with trainers. Well, they go in the lift after practice. But is, like, is the way things are working now. And, and all, so they don't even do – so these guys aren't doing anything. As soon as the, the whistle's blown and the horn sounds, they just go in. There's no – Robert Woods isn't staying out catching from the jugs machine or anything. Like, you can't do extracurricular activities there. It, it doesn't really seem um, like – Okay. Uh, again, just a question I would have because that should be a note to all of us if he's working like that. And, again, not a federal issue, but I'm reading between the lines with this. So we talked to, talk to Burks. So the skill position players come off – the, the offensive linemen and defensive linemen are done a little early. They go left. Skill position players come off. We talk to them. Then the offensive defensive linemen come out of the weight room. We talk to them. So we spent time talking to Burks. By the time we were done talking to Burks, everybody, all the other guys were off the field. Uh, the, the other thing, um, I, I can't help but think about A.J. Brown, and I, and I will with Traylon Burks. A.J. Brown's not showing up out of shape. No, never. And you've got to – for as much as people hate the mentality of what he just did because he just went and got paid, he's showing up and proving he's, the, he's not just a rookie trying to learn the way. He's showing up proving he's the number one guy. And whatever's going on here does not scream number one guy. That, that, it's, it's not inactive and it's not, oh, this guy's going to have an injury issue. Think, thank goodness it's not a hamstring. Point being, it's just a weird vibe with that. It's a weird thing with Tannehill that happened. The, the silence here is deafening, no, where he a, didn't speak for a while, and you're like, what's going on? And then there's no confirmation one way or the other where the speculation just ends, and instead you get this drip effect where two weeks after he reports, Albert Breer's saying, oh, uh, even prior to the draft, teams are noticing this. And it's a weird vibe with Dylan Radins, too. That, too. Last year's second-round pick, yes. offensive lineman who— But this uh, time last year, Paul, this time last year, we were being told— that the rookie, Dylan Radins, had come in and had really taken to coaching during the OTA period. Yep. And man, they, he really took the technique well on the right side. And how quickly that dissipated. But now we're being told, they don't. Uh, Todd Downing, the offensive coordinator today, said, we don't want to pigeonhole him. I said, why don't you want to pigeonhole him? Are, are, you, uh, are you pigeonholing Taylor Lewan? Are you pigeonholing Ben Jones? Are you pigeonholing uh, Nate Davis? He said, yeah, but those guys have played with success at those positions. I asked Vrabel the same thing. I said, don't you want to pigeonhole a second-round pick? Don't you want you – you drafted a right tackle. You have a hole at right tackle. Wouldn't it be best if you had said, hey, this guy's our right tackle? We're pigeonholing him as our right tackle. No. Yeah. I mean, the, the only thing that I would bring up they, and they, ask – They at, don't know what he is. They're scared of him, and he's not very good. Uh, and, no, they, and they don't make decisions about – this part I agree with. They don't make decisions about offensive linemen now because they're not doing anything really. Right, you know, the, and, the important, you know, and that's understandable. Stuff. The important that part's understandable. stuff isn't happening. That the, part's understandable. The drills and stuff again, like this is not. I mean, 
I, I wouldn't complete an OTA practice. But this guy is expected to come in and do that. And the OTA practices are not that taxing, comparatively speaking to the, the training camp practices, which are not that taxing compared to what it used to be. So it's, it's just another note where you, you know, Paul, if you're making things that you're going to ask about and observe on the next time you're out there, it's one that you circle and want to get and come back to instead of there being any resolution to what the issue actually is. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, and, and they certainly could knock it down, um, but it's just not what they do. I think it's almost a, a cat and mouse game for them that they enjoy in some odd, unfortunate way. Yeah, but the player can't enjoy it. There's no way, like, so they can go silent on it. That's yeah, He goes three team. and a half minutes, he faces us, but he, and but, beyond that, he didn't. But he, he was, again, like, there was media availability last week, right? He wasn't made available to you there. No. He was there. Well, that, that maybe is a sign of where they feel like he is because injured players are not being made available. Robert Woods was available today, so maybe they consider him over a certain hump. Um, and Burks was made available today, so maybe they consider him over a certain hump. Yeah, I, man, I just I shake my head at it because I, if it's an easy explanation, just make it easy no. and just say it. No, and, not, not what they uh, do. And there's definitely no competitive advantage here. The competitive advantage is him staying, continuing to eat and stay out of shape. That's the competitive advantage. And to be well, just one of the other guys. Here's the thing then. Never, ever complain when something blows up. You don't want to blow up. If you want to play this game and you have a lot of fun with it, great. Then don't sit there and complain about coverage when things fester and fester and blow up in your face from a media coverage fan perspective because you won't just set the record straight. Agree. Because well, you want to play games. And Chad, you're right. And, and the, his comment, Burks' comment saying, ask Vrabel about the inhaler goes back to their mantra, they're not going to talk about anything medical. None. Well, Robert Woods, to that point, Robert Woods, uh, somebody said, you know, when you said you thought you'd be ready for minicamp back after the Super Bowl, oh. were you just saying that or did you really think it? And he said, did I say minicamp? And the person said, y you actually did say minicamp. And he said, yeah, I, didn't, I don't know if I really believe that, but we don't talk timetables now. <laughs> See? And then you leave it up to Vrabel and then there's nothing there. Um, Whatever. But again, like it, it, it is what it is. What it is, is perception's reality here. He's out of shape. And there's no other way to describe it because if they wanted us to describe it another way, they would tell us. That's where and, I come down and on. And somewhere in there is some degree of embarrassment for, for them. I guess. Like, it's not a big deal, but they traded A.J. Brown but for the, this guy, and this guy comes in out of shape. The, They've got to be embarrassed but by that's it. But that's the intriguing part of this storyline to me. Like, the embarrassing part for the player would been would be him not being allowed to practice and can, and, until he can complete the the physical. Right. The, See, the, but maybe they're not the doing that because they're of. embarrassed by it. And if he's I, over there paddling the canoe like Steve Waterson <laughs> used to have them do in the old days, that makes them what, look. Bad. What they need to do is Traylon Burks needs to go work out with Derrick Henry. That that's who he needs. You want to talk mentorship? Traylon Burks needs to go run hills with Derrick Henry before yes. minicamp. That, that needs to happen. Try to keep up, kid. This is how you work out as a pro. Yeah, there'll be some throwing up in that circumstance. Well, great. That'll help him lose weight quicker. <laughs> I mean, he's got 20 extra pounds to drop. That's a good way to do it. Oh, I mean, what a crazy storyline, though. I never, was a, never for a moment would I've said, like, this guy's showing up out of shape and we, we won't have all, any definitive answer. Let's all, let's all hold hands and pray for his allergies to get better. Speaking of uh, OJ, uh, uh, speaking of, <laughs> speaking of, uh, weight issues at camp. 
a reporter at Steelers camp tweeted that Najee Harris is 244. I don't know. What, so they had to have a source give them the precise weight. Tweeted that he's 244, and he was listed at 232 as a rookie. Yeah. And we know what those weights count for, whatever. So Harris <laughs> tweeted to that, bro, I played at 240 last season. <laughs> so he made the guy look really bad. Well, you know why it's a headline? It's a headline because of Bettis' weight whenever he played for Pittsburgh. And currently, Najee Harris is weight, he weighs the same as Jerome Bettis did. Well, and he so thought that, he looked that's, big. That's I mean, why. If you think a back looks big, I mean, that's generally a, a thing too. But, you know, what would help is if, if the Steelers and everybody else just put accurate damn weights on their damn sheet. Yeah. yeah that would help as well. Um, coming up, Trey Wallace will help us understand the news from SEC meetings in Destin. He's boots on the ground there for Outkick.com, where the 3-6 model and the nine-game SEC schedule is gaining some traction. We'll ask him about that and about a high schooler confronting Nick Saban. We'll lead with that question next on Outkick 360. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer with over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros. Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back. And their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. If you're not visiting Outkick.com for SEC headlines through Trey Wallace, you're doing it wrong. Tons of news and notes coming out of Destin this week at the SEC spring meetings. And Trey has you covered. You can follow him on Twitter at Trey Wallace underscore. And he joins us live on Outkick 360. Trey, hope you're doing well there in Destin, Florida. And I I guess the high schooler is is pretty well off if he's offering cash to Nick Saban, uh, getting past security and uh, asking... The, the goat of coaches to retire. It was the it was the craziest thing, uh, Jonathan. So we're we're all standing, and there's an area we can stand in, and that's right there. The picture you can see it. You know, we can't go past a certain point. Coaches, athletic directors, administrators—they're all back there. They're having meetings and all that. So we just gaggle right outside. We wait for the coaches to come out. Well, I had seen this kid. 17 years old, whatever. I'd seen this kid earlier in the day. He was talking to, to Peter Burns. Everybody knows him from the SEC Network. And so I, I kept watching him just kind of follow around a little bit. And then all of a sudden I see Alabama's SID come storming out of that area, a little bit of language, wondering who this kid was. And I was like, well, he was talking to Peter Burns earlier. I don't know. So I look out of the corner of my eye. 
and I see the kid and he's walking back towards like the resort. So he's getting out of the area. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to go watch this, see what happens. So ended up, I, I went up and I, I just started talking to him. I was like, Hey man, like I've, I've seen you here. Like, do you, you have a podcast? And by the way, the kid told security that he worked for a major sports news outlet, uh, which he didn't. And so I started talking with him. Turns out he's an LSU fan. He's from Monroe, Louisiana. And he's, I said, man, how'd you get back there? And he said, I just walked back there and I saw Saban eating and uh, just sat down next to him. And uh, I just started uh, telling him how much did I respect him. And But you know what? I'd love for you to leave Alabama. And I said, well, what was Nick Saban's response? And so he said, Saban just sat there and said, okay, okay. And you could tell it was just weird. Well, then, <laughs> so I'm talking to the kid while he's being escorted out of the resort. I'm talking with the kid walking next to security that's escorting the kid. And I'm like, hey, man, look, I, I need like three minutes with this kid. He's not hurting anybody. So I, I walk outside the resort. They say, well, you can go talk to him outside the resort. I'm like, the kid's staying here. He goes, I don't care. You can go talk to him outside. I was like, right, whatever. So we do that. I talk to him. Nick Saban wraps up his day. So I see Nick Saban by himself talking on the phone. So I'm kind of waiting for a minute. And he's walking out. And I go up to Coach Saban and I'm talking. And I said, hey, man, what did, what did that kid? I heard you had a special guest at lunch. And uh, he said, yeah, the, the kid offered me $5,000 to leave Alabama, go back to LSU. And I was like, okay. And uh, he goes, he was a cute kid, though. And I was like, all right, that makes sense, coach. And he goes, yeah, I'll remember this one. So Five grand. Just, uh, a, crazy, just, a, just a crazy thing that went on when we're all just sitting around waiting. And I, I just I watched that kid. Right when I saw him, guys, I watched him. I knew something would happen. Some security well, operation the, they got going there. The kid claiming that he's with a major media outlet has very Abe Froman, Sausage King of Chicago vibes from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. That that was his line to get in. I'm actually with a major media outlet, and I need to get through to this secure area right now. Oh, sure. Go right ahead. So scheduling, Trey, seems to yeah. be the, the biggest topic right now at SEC spring meetings. Is one of the formats starting to rise above the rest as the possible outcome once Texas and Oklahoma join the league? Yeah, I, I think it's going to be the, the nine game, in my opinion. Talking with some people off the record, you know, coaches – you know, I was told today it was the shortest ever coaches and athletic director presentation that they've been a part of. And I was talking with somebody that they've been a part of in like seven years. Um, so they they went in there. I think it was I think it was maybe twenty five minutes. Um, so the coaches presented what they thought uh, was a good idea going forward to the athletic directors who will be in town for the next two days. But nothing really will come out of that unless they have a vote. Um, but I think, you know, nine games feels like the right, in my opinion, the way to go because you're still getting your three permanent rivals. And in speaking with some folks, you know, that, that seems like the path that they want to go down because there's some games that teams don't want to give up every year. Like, and, and Josh Heupel's not going to say this, but Tennessee doesn't want to give up Florida, Alabama, and Georgia every year, no matter if they're – how bad Tennessee is or how good those teams are, or the opposite, whatever, you still don't want to give up those rivalry games because they're such good for, for, for home games and going on, you know, away games, whatnot. You look at it overall from a standpoint of what it could do with Texas and Oklahoma 
enter the league. It could be something where we get Texas A&M and Texas as a permanent rival every year. And, and, and talking with some Aggie folks, like they're, they're willing to play Texas. Let, let's roll. So I, I think that, that when it comes down to it, there's no vote taken. I think that once the presentations are made to the presidents and chancellors over the next two days, I, I'm cautious to say there's going to be a vote, but there could be. Um, we'll just have to see how the next two days play out. But the coaches are going to have to vote on it. So they'd have to get the coaches on a conference call before they can do anything. A curious trait, does Texas and Oklahoma uh, do uh, – how much uh, – are they video conferencing in for this? Like, what's the setup for them if any – like, a scheduling issue is going to affect them when they join the conference. Um, the fact that they're already joining but not joined yet, does that give them any vote? I've been told that Texas and Oklahoma have a clear line of communication to Greg Sankey. So – Take that for what it's worth. You know, if anything's going on, they're being made aware of it uh, because they're now, you know, no, they can't be on any kind of video conference. They can't do anything along those lines, but they're still being made aware of a situation, Jonathan. I'm for the, the I'm, yeah. for, I'm for the three rivalry concept, but I, I understand on the other side of that, there's some teams that just don't have those natural rivalries. So is the hope that those kind of turn into rivalries in, in time? And what do the schools that don't have them feel about that scheduling plan? Well, I mean, they, they feel like they, they, they might get left out there where they're having to pay, play three opponents that are even harder than what's on their current schedule. I mean, that, that, that's what it comes down to. I mean, what if you, let's just say you get tied up every year Okay, let's just say you're like Vanderbilt and you get tied up every year with LSU and Alabama and Kentucky or Tennessee. Okay, you're still adding to the already difficult schedule that you have, and now you're adding Alabama and LSU to that. I think when you look at some teams, you know, and and I think there's a couple you could point out, like, that don't have, like, true rivals. South Carolina is a team that comes to mind. Um I, I know there's, you know, I know Mississippi State plays for the boot. I mean, Arkansas does. and um, But I, I think when it comes down to it, we have to get past the premier teams in the conference or, or what is perceived to be the premier teams. And when that happens, that's when, you, that's when you're getting a lot of the back and forth right now in the scheduling is from those teams kind of still trying to make their way back up into the conference, South Carolina, uh, Kentucky, Vanderbilt, uh, Missouri, I mean, you can even throw Tennessee in there, but I don't think Josh Heupel truly cares one way or the other right now uh, when it comes to this situation because he's still trying to get his feet underneath him, and he spoke about that earlier. But I think overall, Paul, it's it's you've got some teams fighting for it, some teams fighting for something different. Sooner or later, they're going to have to vote on this thing, and, and you're just going to have to come to a conclusion because it's all about do you add a game? Because uh, Scott Strickland said today, during a little gaggle that we had, he wants to still play 10 to 11 Power 5 conference games a year. So it, it, it's interesting to see where this thing could go, you know, over the next couple months. And, Trey, everyone there, they've had something to say about schedule and about NIL. And for the most part, every coach is saying the same thing. Hey, I'm all for kids making money on name, image, likeness, but the intention behind the rule isn't being played out right now in recruiting – 
and we got to get a handle on it and have some sort of legislation or rules surrounding it. Um, Brian Kelly took it a step farther and, and said, look, this is becoming professional sports, and I don't think these kids want to sign contracts because when they sign a contract, we can cut them and we can trade them. And I don't think that's what these kids want ultimately. What did you make of Brian Kelly's comments that, honestly, Trey, I had not heard from any coach before him? Yeah, I mean, I found them interesting, but then I then I thought about it just for a second. I'm like, well, okay, you kind of already do cut players at the end of the year. Let's be honest. I mean, you know, you're if you're not renewing a scholarship and you tell a player that, hey, you need to go look elsewhere, call it whatever you want to call it. That's cutting a player. Um, but I but I but I understand where he's coming from from a business aspect of this. If we're talking about paying these players as employees to university, providing the health care, even more healthcare and what comes with it down the road compared to what they get now. Uh, and if we're talking about salaries per year, then yeah, we're, we're talking about conversations of like, Hey, look, I don't want to pay you $60,000 per year to play here. That goes along with your scholarships. And we need to do something different. I think that's a conversation that could happen down the road. If they don't figure out some kind of either, you know, if the government doesn't step in and get some kind of legislation that goes on, or they decide, okay, the government does, hey, we need to make these players employees of these schools where they can reap the benefits, and this is another solution to NIL, you know, in, in a way. I, I haven't heard that before, like he put it, but I understand where he's coming from, but I don't buy the argument of, Hey, you know, we don't, we don't, we haven't cut players before or cutting players is something different. It just quietly happens behind the scenes and folks don't know it until a player enters the transfer portal or he ends up at a different school. Trey Wallace with us. Uh, Trey, uh, barring some unforeseen circumstance or hurdle, it sounds like the Big 12 is going to add its additional four schools by next year. Would that speed up any process for Texas and Oklahoma to join the SEC? Has that been discussed this week? If BYU and others join early uh, with the Big 12 and get a part of that schedule, is it more likely that Texas and Oklahoma would leave, or do they continue to be voting members of the conference for four years? See, So that conversation I had with one or two folks this week, and, and what they brought up to me was, you have to remember, ESPN is starting a new television contract with the SEC in a few years. They would love for Oklahoma and Texas to be a part of the SEC when that contract starts. <coughs> Excuse me. Meaning they don't want to launch. They would prefer not to launch this huge new SEC, ABC, Saturday night type deal without Oklahoma and Texas in the first year because they wouldn't come in until the second year of the contract. So, yes, there have been talks about getting Oklahoma and Texas in um, a little bit sooner than, than, than probably what it looks like schedule-wise and when they could get out of a buyout. Jonathan, I just look at it overall, and I think when you add those other teams into the mix, you know, what is Texas and Oklahoma going to do to begin with? I mean, you can stick around all you want, but if you can find a way out and ESPN can provide a little change, why not get out when you can? Yeah, and, and the fact that the Big 12 has not yet named their next commissioner, and that will happen within the next 60 to 90 days. The, 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 the thought is it's by the end of July. Um, well, and ES, if, and if you're ESPN, new and you're yeah. coming in there, you want, uh, to me, I would want the clean slate. I'd be like, all right, let's, let's focus on the future 
and not figure out what's going to take place between Texas and Oklahoma over the next three years. And by the way, ESPN is scheduled to present, um, I don't know what to call it, but a presentation here tomorrow uh, for for the conferences, for the presidents, for the chancellors. And, and that will look ahead to television contracts and what's coming in the next you know few years because it, it is a lot of money um, that, that is going to be an influx to the conference. So I, I am interested to see how much they push for Texas and Oklahoma and how quick they can get them in. How much of a Tennessee presence from the leadership of the athletic department, either through Danny White, through Josh Heupel, others, have you seen in Destin this week? Danny White's been here. Um, uh, Heupel's been here. Uh, the chancellor, Donnie Plowman, will be here. Uh, I was told uh, President Randy Boyd um, and, uh, you know, Rick Barnes, you know, Barnes has been sure. here. Um, but I, I would think that – so Heupel and Barnes flew back today – um, and the presidents and chancellor chancellors will come down uh, tomorrow and and Friday. Uh, but Danny White's going to be here, and and they have a presence. Look, just and I was told this: just because Tennessee is is getting back, you know, everything underneath their feet, doesn't mean they're not letting their voice be heard in all of these meetings. That's the key there. Um, yeah. Yep. That is the main key. And I've been told Danny White is not hesitant. Uh, to, to say what he needs to say when it comes to where Tennessee stands in a conference and what is good for that school. And I think that's big. Don't go in there scared. Go in there and say, hey, look, we're Tennessee. Um, we've been a standard in the conference. Our football might not look at it like, like it right now, but check out our basketball and our baseball. And we're getting back football-wise. That's what you have to say. You have to go in there with a the presence. You have to know, you know that, that this is the way it's going. It's a lot different than like if you're Alan Green at Auburn where there's talk that you might not make it past this year, you know, compared to like a Danny White going in there and trying to make his presence known. So, you know, I, I, I think that Tennessee has done a very good job of just making their self known that they're not, they're not going anywhere. They want to be a part of the conversation. And it's not just about A&M, LSU, Alabama, Georgia, Florida. You know, Josh Heupel's done what he's needed to do. And another thing, real quick, Josh Heupel – you know, he, he he's kind of a kind of just go with the flow type of guy until something pops up on his radar that he really wants to talk about. And I get that as a coach and as you know, coming off his first year, you're still trying to fill things out. I think you see a different Josh hype on the next two years compared to what you see this year uh, when it comes to this. But right now he's worried about building his program. I honestly think he could care less about what a schedule format will look like. Full coverage at outkick.com from Trey Wallace. Trey, we'll catch up with you tomorrow as well with, with further news and notes uh, from, from Destin. Great work here, and uh, we'll chat with you on tomorrow's show. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Trey. Appreciate Got it, man. There is Trey Wallace of Outkick.com with the very latest across the SEC. A lot more coming in regards to the SEC discussion later today. When we come back, Clay Travis kicked out of a Little League baseball game, and we will discuss the issues around that. He was tossed, and... He admitted it. He was told uh, to his, GTFO. In his live stream yesterday, we'll, we'll compare notes of the horror stories that the guys to my left and right have certainly probably witnessed uh, throughout their little league uh, fandom and coaching, for that matter, for Chad's perspective. That's next on OutKick 360. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. 
It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Blake Travis was kicked out of a Little League baseball game this past weekend. Outkick 360 rolls on. This umpire that threw him out, that tossed him, Clay estimates was in his 40s. So let's set the scene. And he said 45 was his estimate. In his 40s. <laughs> Same thing. Yeah. Um, three of the 18 possible batters of this six-inning game were called out due to uh, a play not be, uh, with a ball not being in the field, meaning two batters were called out for slinging the bat before they even reached first base. And then Clayson was called out for batter interference while he's at the plate, catcher interference, on a throw to third where Clay says that there was no physical contact whatsoever. Uh, and the, the, the throw to third actually made it to the third baseman where a tag was attempted. Uh, from there, things got out of hand. Clay admits to dropping an F-bomb at the umpire. The umpire turns around, mentions Clay's radio show, and tosses him. Uh, Chad, the, the explanation did not fit the uh, criteria for many because Clay's getting hammered for this. But he does admit that he was tossed for the first time while watching his kids play a little league game. He was that guy. Clay's getting eviscerated for it um, all over the place. Look, multiple things can be true here. Clay should not have dropped an F-bomb at an 11-year-old baseball game as a spectator to the umpire and put himself in a position to get run from the ballpark right. while watching the game. He shouldn't have done that. And I, I watched the video. Everyone's saying, you know, Clay's very proud of getting tossed in the game. I don't maybe I know Clay a little better than most. I don't take his explanation as pride in getting thrown out of the game. It's more of an explanation and his problem he had with the umpire and what was going on in the game. Um, so that's the one thing that's true. I, I should, should out, not have dropped an F-bomb. I left out one detail. Uh, the umpire, half an inning into the game, delayed the game for 10 a, a minutes bathroom break. while going to the restroom and left everyone just standing there in the middle of the first. Which... I mean, I don't know how that's relevant other than it, it was off to a weird start, uh, right? I mean, he also said he got there late. You know, they were waiting for a while for him to get there. He yes, got there he late. late, started the game, and then went on a bathroom break. It, it all leads to this cocktail of Clay getting tossed for dropping an F-bomb. I, I get that. So, again, one thing's true. Clay should not drop an F-bomb, should not get himself ejected from a game. The other thing is this umpire is ridiculous. I, I'm sorry. If you're an 11-year-old baseball game and you're not giving a warning – <laughs> for slinging a bat? I mean... Yeah, the, the bat slinging, calling them look, out immediately. we have, you know, my five- and six-year-old team had girls that I was constantly on them to not throw the bat. And they're just not good at it. They would hit it, get excited, and throw it up against the fence. The umpire would say, hey, and I was like, I've got it. I'm, I'm warning them on it. And I tell them, you're going to be out next time. I, I don't think you should just start randomly calling kids out, you know, left and right in that situation. The catcher interference thing is weird. It's clear to me this umpire obviously knew who Clay was going in, probably knew who his kid was. I think if you've got some sort of personal issue with a celebrity of any kind and you take that out on the kid or on the game as an umpire, that's uncalled for. So I think there's a lot of wrong to go around here. You can't get thrown out of a game as, as a parent. You can't. You just can't. The, the, the kids get a terrible message out of it. You, you can't be that guy. I've been in situations where I've come close to being that guy. You got to walk away. You got to go take your own 10 minute bathroom break. Yes. Or whatever. 
you uh, you crushed me. I think about the whole scene that I described one oh, time. Yeah, yeah. About you, you got your kid kicked be, off a team. You yeah. can't be. You can't be. I didn't get it. I took him off. But um, I don't think you were welcome back. But yeah, well, I remember you, that. You can't be part of, of of the scene like that. If these are eleven year old kids, they have to know not to sling a bat. I haven't. I, my kids on a twelve year old team. I haven't seen a slung bat in four years. I, I don't think. So certain things are beyond policing. Uh, those kids should know that you can't throw a bat. They should know it for four or five years now. You just can't. You can't let yourself be in that period. No, I I, I, I agree that I agree with that. It, I think it, it's ridiculous that uh, if anyone gets kicked out of a little league game or asked to leave by the parents of the team uh, for for anything, uh, both sides here deserve well. Pressing. This umpire, by the way, um, for whatever reason, is taking things way out of proportion by calling all these different outs on the on the actual yeah, diamond. I, I think the umpire's in the wrong, but I mean ultimately Clay's the one who got himself tossed and that's wrong. And he should well, not toss be for the F bomb. He should not be dropping F bombs that loud where the umpire's yeah. hearing it, uh, with a bunch of family and, and kids around also. And if I'm the coach of Clay's team, I'm saying something to Clay to shut up, first and foremost. If there's another parent yes. causing a scene uh, and also, I'm talking to the umpire about that. And I've got objections to the umpire and the way he's calling the game. I'm probably doing it before it gets to that point, and I'm not making a huge scene about it. Could be in between innings. Could be a separate conversation elsewhere. Um, but look, there's no pride in getting kicked out of a Little League game. I think we'd all agree with that, right? I mean, I've had my own struggles. I think I've worked to uh, get myself in a better place. And... Uh, what are these dudes getting paid? But that's the other thing, that the Little League umpire thing. You just got to deal with the fact that it's not good. Yeah. Well, I think a with, lot of times it's not uh, good. One thing I will completely disagree with Clay on is he's talking about professional standards for someone getting paid to do a job. Clay would never be an umpire for the money they make. Oh, no. Like that's, I mean, they're not making much. They're not uh, Fortune 500 CEOs out there at work. Like, they're getting paid very little yeah, to be there. You're going to get the professional standards you get from the person right. serving you, donuts at Dunkin' Donuts. you, so, you got to also understand they're not making a ton of money. Back with headlines next on so Outkick 360.